an A&E original podcast. I say, hey, what's up? Hello. I'm a trap queen. <laughs> that was my song. What happened to Fetty Wap? I love trap queen. I'm like, hey, what's up? Hello. Guys, I want to get out of the house. I want to put a wig on. I want to put makeup on. I want to get drunk with my friends. I'm tired of this. It's Friday. Same, sis. This is trash. Trash, trash. <laughs> The table is ours, where we have honest conversations with our black faves. With me today is my co-host, the Kirby Dixon. Kirby is a amateur lyricist, but not basic, and a freestyle songstress. Emphasis on the not basic. And y'all know who that is. That's my girl, Amira Lawali, who is a karaoke diva and a barbecue yeehaw queen. Girl, this week, Mercury is in retrograde, and I do not know if you feel it, but I totally feel it. I have been emotional. I have been stressed. Girl. I have been angry. <laughs> I have been Mercury upset. be retrograding and kicking my ass. This has been, like, a rough week. Like, everything has fallen apart. I mean, it's okay, but, like, I feel like I'm juggling things and everything's dropping. Literally, but at least I feel a little bit better knowing it's just not me. But it's the universe that is up against me and putting all these forces against us. I love it not being my fault. Yes. I love it not being my fault. I literally say, oop. Isn't that a song? That wasn't me. I'm not slipping. It's not me. (laughs) Exactly. It's the stars. (laughs) It wasn't me. Exactly. But it did get me thinking about how... I actually have love languages at work just as much as I do in my personal relationships. And and they're different, right? So like the love languages that I need to feel fulfilled in my relationships, my friendships, is very different than the love language that I feel that I need at work. And that is words of affirmation. I work hard. You work hard. We do a good job. And for me... Someone just acknowledging that, girl, you killed that in the workplace is enough for me to keep going. And I just came to that realization this week. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even – I've never thought about it that way. Like, I, I'm going to have to reflect on it. But, like, I – my number one is words of affirmation in a relationship. And I, I actually think it's going to be that in, at work as well. <laughs> like, I need to hear that I'm doing a good job from people that I'm supporting, like, from my bosses. Like, mm-hmm. tell me I'm doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Tell me you love me. Tell me nice things. <laughs> You're just being consistent. That's all. Yeah. But you know what? Our guest this week is the perfect person to talk about that with. Oh my gosh. Yes. Karamo kind of like took us there, right? He really did. We talked masculinity. We talked parenthood and fatherhood and like black families. We talked his skincare routine, which <laughs> I needed. And for those of you who are living under a rock, Karamo is a television icon. I first knew him on Real World Philadelphia, but he is also one of the favorite fierce fab five of Queer Eye. And he is a licensed social worker and psychotherapist. And finally, he was just cast to be in the next season of Dear White People, a man who wears many, many hats. Karamo Brown, let's get into it.
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, Amira, and hi, Kirby. Hi. First of all, will people be able to see this? Because you two are stunning. Oh, <laughs> stunning. We were going to say the same thing about you. So honestly, that's Thank all you. I needed. <laughs> Podcast done. We're done. Promo, okay, you can leave. Finish. Thank you. Finish. <laughs> um, we like to ask every guest first because this last year, year and a half, has been so hard, so tough on everyone. How are you, girl? It's like. <laughs> It is a constant range of ups and downs, and I'm just riding the wave and enjoying every moment. Like, there's moments where I just feel truly overwhelmed. Um, Then there's moments I feel truly triggered. Then there's other moments I feel really inspired and motivated. It's like, I I just can't get a grip on my emotions sometimes, but that's okay. Like, none of us have to be fine all the time, and none of us have to be down all the time. You know, whatever you're feeling is good. And so I'm just going like this, riding the waves up and down, like, let it go. Oh my gosh, 100%. Um, Kirby and I were prepping a few, was it yesterday? Yes. <laughs> it was halfway through. I was like, Kirby, like, I love you, my girl. It's been a long day. I'm just very anxious right now. So don't take <laughs> it personally. But if that comes off, like, I don't know what it is. And I'm not even angry about anything. I just feel like life is hitting me at this moment. She was like, same. First of all, I just want to say kudos to you all because there's something that I have. I'm the youngest of four sisters and raised by my mom. There's something that Black women do so well that I just want to applaud that you all just did right now is that you all are so great at communicating that like when you just said, hold on, I said I have anxiety of like being able to clearly pinpoint the emotion and then express it. I wish everyone could just continue to do what we do every time. Just follow Black women and say, without the pressure on you, because I'm tired of putting too much pressure on Black women. But I just appreciated how clear and articulate that was, because that's such a learning lesson that people don't realize. Like, what you're feeling, call it out, and then say, this is not about you, but if you want to continue or engage, just know that this is what's going on within me. And I just think that's a healthy thing that more people should do. So... I just had to point that out really quick. Thanks. It made the conversation so much easier. Like, once I knew that she wouldn't think that, like, I was projecting on her, it was like, okay, we're good. But it's also like, we got everything. How can I respond to you if I don't know what's happening or going on or relate to you? Because that response was literally like, girl, thank God, me too. Like, it's like just a sigh of relief. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't have to be on all the time. This Um, is why most people's relationships are all screwed up because they don't know how to identify. They're just like, Mm -hmm. oh, you already know what I'm feeling, or they project something onto themselves that is not really happening. It's like, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, another question that we don't always ask our guests is, but we are going to ask you because okay. we will be remiss not to. Okay. Your skin is perfect. It is flawless. We love to see it. Black men with great <laughs> skin. We love to see it's it. It's a highlight. I love, I love black men with great skin. It makes me so happy. Especially during quarantine. I mean, these past couple of months at home, not getting the fresh air that we need, the melanin, and I'm light skinned, so I'm definitely struggling right now in the yes. winter time. But can you please drop your skin routine? Because we know you also have a line that's yes. out right now. So tell us how you I keep do. that have- skin looking great. 
Well, first, I have a skincare line, like you said, thank you for mentioning, called Mantle, that is out. We um, Today is actually our one-year anniversary. Oh, um, my we, gosh, yeah. congrats. We, we launched, and then it was a pandemic, and I was like, oh, so there goes every investment and plan we made because, and luckily, we made it through and made it through strong. We're in Nordstrom stores around the country. We're also sold on Nordstrom's online. We're sold at Mantle.com. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and then also Beyonce shouted us out. Yes. Um, Yes, I almost gagged and threw <laughs> up and passed out. Like, I couldn't believe it. And so it's been really amazing. And so the reason I started the skincare line is because I would get this question a lot about, like, my own skin. And so the thing is, is like I just said again, having sisters, they would, they, I had access to their skincare routine and I wasn't intimidated by it. It wasn't something that was like, oh, this is for men, this is for women. I realized that we all have skin and we should all appreciate it. And I think if I was grew up in a household of brothers, even though I'm gay, I don't think I would have the same appreciation for like take time. Yeah. So some of the like the um, home remedies, free remedies that I tell people is first of all, put ice on your face once at night. It takes down all inflammation, yes. takes out all puffiness. And then literally it's really having a really good acne scrub that you can really like make sure that you're using every morning, every night. Um, and then also for me, because I have dry skin, it's about moisturizing. And even if you don't have dry skin, moisturize. There's nothing worse than anyone with ashy legs, knees, <laughs> yes. fingers, toes. Listen, I feel like I'm like, hands, yeah. settle, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you yeah. it. Just don't be, don't be ashy, please. Because it truly does, it, it just affects you. And this is especially for black people to hear or people of color, period. Please wear sunscreen. Yes. Please, yep. please, please. It works. Seriously. <laughs> yes. And you a lie, black do crack, because I got two aunties that can show you right now. <laughs> and girl, they, they, they wrote it hard and rough back I in you said it, not the me. 80s and the 70s, okay? And I'm like, girl, that caught up right with you. <laughs> all the way, okay? Oh my gosh. Oh my um, God. <laughs> So I'm from Houston. What? <laughs> How what part? What part? I'm from Southwest Houston. <laughs> yes. I know. You know what? We're gonna get into it. We're, we're gonna get okay. into it. We are. Okay. <laughs> what I what I realized you're from Houston. I love. There's something about Houston. Like we are so prideful in our city. Like I love yeah. Houston. I love people from Houston. I take so much pride in like all of our stars from Houston. Like it means so much. And the more I like brag about it and talk about it, like I I moved to New York five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So it was right before the election. And then I was in New York for that 2016 election. Yeah. Um, but I was recently reflecting on like my life reflecting like as a black girl growing up in the South. And I wanted to ask you, what was your experience growing up young, black and gay in Houston? We're supposed to be like the most multicultural city, but it's still the South. Like, what was it that like? Not. I know. It was, it was probably everything you went through and but in different ways because the thing is people the racism in the south is real and the homophobia in the south is real and the sexism in the south is real and i just as as we keep going through these generations i keep thinking it's going to get better mm -hmm. but then you realize that even our peer group have sort of taken on some of these feelings and attitudes and it just is perpetuated in a new way and where you're like oh yeah this is the same bullshit just a different new twist on it. You know what I mean? You think you woke, you think you're doing some shit and you're not excused for cussing. Um, but literally that was my experience <laughs> of like, the, the, the people telling me I couldn't do stuff 
and blatantly telling me I couldn't do it because I was black. Um, Even down to like college counselors telling me, oh, you shouldn't apply to any of these places Mm -hmm. because like, and I was like, why? Everything else is good. You just told, Mm -hmm. you just told Timmy that he could go like, you know, what was the plan? Um, And then also like having Caribbean parents being first generation American, like they were very clear to be like, we don't like immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm an immigrant. And then you would see this shit of like, so you're black and you're an immigrant. Like, this is just like, you were just really taking on my opportunities. And I'm like, no girl, that's not how this works. And so I just continuously felt that throughout, but there was something about that experience that did make me stronger. And I'll tell you what it is. It made me appreciate my identities more, not in the moment, but the minute that I walked away from the South. And especially I decided because of those experiences to attend an HBCU for undergrad and like getting to an HBCU, you start to learn like how to love all shades of black, how to mm-hmm. love your different name, how to love your heritage, how to love so many things that I did parts of my identity that I didn't know how to love. Like even down to like being Christian and mm-hmm. being okay with me being Christian, but also being gay in Southern spaces, they'd be like, those two don't work. And then even though People like to assume that African-Americans, Black folks are the most homophobic. It's not true. Mm -hmm. Some of the most loving relationships I've ever had in church were with Black women who were like, come in here, let me support you. And it just allowed me to love every part of my identity. And then it also taught me how to use those identities to achieve the success I want. I don't walk into rooms anymore afraid that I'm not as qualified because I know that my personal experiences and my personal identities give me an advantage over every white person I see in this room. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I state that clearly and proudly that thank you for having a different name. Thank you for having, you know, different experiences growing up because all of those things make me stronger and greater. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And I love that because isn't it crazy how once you kind of go away from these white institutions, how you really are able to come into your own because you're mentioning going to an HBCU and really finding yourself there. I grew up in Philly, which we'll get into later because of your connection (laughs) to that city. Yeah, Philly, yes. But, you know, going to private schools my entire life and not even knowing that an HBCU was something that I could actually attain. It was like, "Mm, you're a little bit on your own. Yeah, which was was a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hated it. I just I didn't I never understand that, especially like when I learned, you know, like, look, the world is learning now with our VP being from an HBCU. Let's just Mm -hmm. talk about it. Mm -hmm. And um, you know (laughs) what I mean? And so they're starting to learn how HBCUs produce such amazing educated, strong, beautiful, empathetic young people that turn into amazing adults. And, you know, like I just had a conversation with someone who I'm dating who's white. And he was like, I didn't know that there was a need for black colleges. And I was like, I was like, why didn't you know this? Because like, and this is not being shady or anything, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. why didn't you? And the conversation was, well, I thought that we just had these colleges. So like, why would you need something for African-Americans? And I was like, well, let's talk about it. Like, Mm -hmm. look at how many, uh, look how many African-Americans are accepted into traditional quote unquote universities. The, Mm -hmm. The percentage is low. And so a lot of these individuals who are super qualified are not given access. And so the desire for them to go to college, you know, 
is taken away. And so we have to remember this is a long, you already know, I'm not preaching to y'all, I'm only preaching to y'all audience. <laughs> yeah. you know, I just want to make sure y'all no, are seriously. aware of that. Like, I'm no. not, but like, this was the conversation that I realized that so many white people are not having in their homes, you know what I mean? And you have to kind of reel them back in and be like, hold on, why don't you know this? And now, now that I'm going to give you a little bit, how can you take this one? Yeah, totally. Well, shout out to Vice President Kamala Harris for forcing all of Boom. America to understand and know what an HBCU even stands for. Okay. Mm-hmm. Boom. Um, come on, speak on it. <laughs> well, you had mentioned that you do have, you come from a Caribbean family and you've been very open in many forums in talking about the complicated relationship that you had with your dad and how he was abusive to your mother and how you're just now starting to try and mend your relationship with him. But even before in growing up, can you speak a little bit about um, like, how did that relationship affect your adult relationships? And was he kind of the first person that you saw when you were defining kind of your own identity as a man? Like, was he what masculinity looked like for you? He was what masculinity looked like for me. And it it was a very wrong definition of what a man is. As a child, I was fearful that I couldn't live up to that Mm -hmm. because of my, me identifying as gay, me wanting to do certain things like loving the arts or being, you know, more creative, even though I did play sports. These things, ideals of like the fact that I wasn't a womanizer because like I've always been someone who's a little bit more monogamous and more loving and like mm-hmm. I want to get one, you know, all these ideals that I thought is what a man is because I witnessed him and my uncles sort of live this sort of way. And there were some key things for me that I did know a man shouldn't do. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, like you mentioned earlier, my mother was abused by my father. My father participated heavily in drugs and alcohol. So those two things are the blaring things that were like, no, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. But then at the other rate, there was other things where I was like, well, maybe I'm supposed to like stay out all night. Like maybe, like, is that how you get a someone to love you? Is that right. how you get someone to desire you? Like, oh, playing games, that's like something you should do in order to, you know, like, oh, you should hide your finances even when they're bad. Like, are, is this something you should do? And you don't process those questions in the same way when you're a kid. But as I got older, I started to think to myself, uh, is this what I'm supposed to be as a man? Right. And it affected me for a long time. I mean, even to this day, I realized that Part of the reason when I first get into relationships that I can't love some, I mean, trust someone's love immediately is because I didn't trust his love. Right. And so therefore, when I get with people, I'm like, some shit about to drop. I don't trust mm-hmm. you. So our, you might be saying all day I love you, but in a little bit, something about to drop. And that's because right. that's how he was. And so my first image of what love was, what masculinity was, was so skewed that it lingered throughout my life. And it's consistently challenging these narratives that I thought were true. Yeah. But it's so interesting that you say that because- and it's almost scary because it, one one of the things that are so obviously wrong and so obviously toxic, like you're talking about physical abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, but it's those other things that you're talking about that are a little bit more subtle that are the ones that you get stuck with when you're growing up. And if you have the power and the ability and take the time to really work on yourself to recognize it, you can get past it. Yeah. But those are the things that I feel like are really challenging as you go from like, childhood to being a teenager to adulthood and trying to navigate 100 percent 
hundred percent. And I think there's a responsibility as you know, like working in social services before and working with young people, and also just now with my my guy friends who are like anywhere from their thirties to their early forties. I'm like, we have to constantly challenge like these narratives. And I even talk to some of my girlfriends about mm-hmm. like, what are the things that you're encouraging that you don't even realize you're encouraging as we have this next generation watching us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what are the type of things that you're like, oh, that's cute in a man that this little boy is going to watch. And this is not to put any onus on women because men have to step up and do their own work and make sure they're doing it. But I think we have to think instead of like men and women in in one context, it's child and adult. And when we talk about toxic men, Mm -hmm. they didn't start off as toxic boys. They start off as boys who just want to understand how to navigate this world without an instruction manual. And we have to look at everything we're doing. And those subtle things are so key. I can't tell you how many times my first relationships I played games oh yeah I literally played games because that's how I thought you get attention I thought that's how you that's how you figure out if someone is really into you if they put up with these things like I was just like I don't know how many times I thought people thought being secretive was sexy Mm -hmm. because I had seen in movies like the mysterious guy was the one everybody wanted but then when you really break that down in real life like no, you being mysterious and secretive, that ain't healthy. Like there's right. nothing about that that makes me feel comforted and wanting to move forward. But there's so many men I still talk to this day and they're like, ah, you can't tell a girl too much. You know, you got to make sure you, you know, you got just give a little because, you know, she, Karama, you give it too much. All the time, tonight. all the time. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, do you realize where that narrative came from? It came from unhealthy men in your life and also unhealthy narratives from movies. And now you're adapting that thinking that that's, healthy and it's not healthy and and it's those it's again it's the subtle things that we have to really pay attention to that we have to start fighting against yeah 100 percent. i was just talking to my boyfriend i think we played like a card game last week and he was like well what have you like learned from this relationship for the last one i've been a boyfriend for about almost six years right so Mm -hmm. i had to stop and think and i was like i think i learned that like love doesn't have to hurt Mm -hmm. like it's hard but i don't have to feel sick like, yes, uh, my exes, I would literally like walk around with like stomach aches and like anxiety. Mm. And it, it's not that hard when it's like pure and true. And once I realized Oof. that as a fighter, like maybe like two years in, I was like, oh, this is supposed to be easy. He was like, I told you it was supposed to be easy. But, 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, but hard you know, to, like, pe- but you know what I mean? people, yeah, don't deprogram themselves. Like, yeah. first of all, kudos to you again. Because the thing about it, like narratives that I heard from women again, and this is where I'm talking about like all of us responsibility as adults and children is Mm -hmm. like, it was like, you gotta fight for your love. (sighs) You gotta, I heard so many women in my life say that yeah you gotta fight for it you gotta you know if if you're not putting in the work and fighting for this love and i'm like the word fight you gotta fight for it listen i'm lazy we fight enough for a lot of things in this country love and someone loving me is not one that i'm willing to put up work is hard enough right (laughs) fighting like listen both of (laughs) y'all listen speak on that but then think about that now but here and this is where i'm like getting back to the question is think about that as a little boy right who mm-hmm. thinks like, oh, fighting for love is what's going to be healthy. So you got one that realized that fighting for love is not healthy. It should have been like, it should be easy for love. Like all yeah. the songs we should hear should be like, love should be easy. That's what we should be singing on the radio. Not like everything should be a fight, but we made it through. We right. fought and we made it through. Like that's a lot of energy you don't want to throw out there. And I'm like, little boys, 
don't listen to that. Right. Understand yeah. that the way to have a real, truly loving relationship with where your girl's going to be down for you and or your man's going to be down for you or the person you're with is going to be down for you. It's like to be honest and loving and empathy. And like, it takes time to get rid of those narratives. And I just wish it. Because let me tell you, I want to ask that. a pop on. Um, when I was, okay, some things you just gotta pop Y'all on Y'all might be Sunday, because Karamo's about to preach, I feel it. Okay, it, it ain't a full preach. I'm gonna get a full preach later. But I just want to say, when you have somebody who you can be honest, vulnerable, and loving with, and it's easy, mm-hmm. that is the best way. I'm telling you, it's just so sexy to come home to somebody you know is loving you, who you don't gotta stress about. Like, it took me into my last relationship that didn't end, unfortunately, after 10 years, that I was like, this is easy. Okay, this is right. good. Like, yeah. oh, it's it's just so good. If you mm-hmm. gotta look through his or her phone, if yeah. you gotta wonder where they are, if you gotta if you gotta dig for information, if you gotta like question how much money they're spending, if you gotta do any of these things, reevaluate first why you feel like you have to put up for this because that's gonna lead you to your self esteem. And as you're exploring your self esteem, start then evaluating. Is there something better? And the answer is yes. Right. The answer is yes. And build your self-esteem until you can reach that destination of yes. Right. Oh my gosh, yes. You guys should be fighting about what color paint swatch you want to the living room, not about how much you're going to love me. So. Yes. What are we ordering for dinner? What's for dinner? What are we ordering? What movie are we watching? It's supposed to be like light and it's so easy. Light. Yeah. (laughs) But I am going to change the mood a little bit because I spent the holiday break binging the challenge on the Netflix with my sister. She really did. I did. <laughs> and well, I'm, I'm, I've been a fan of the show. And I, we watched it in real time. Like I watched you on The Real World, Philadelphia. Mm, Shout out yes. to the 215. <laughs> and then I watched Inferno. And I think watching the Inferno kind of like as an adult and also like seeing you as a public person now, that persona, like I feel like they, it was like painted as like a villain. And watching it as an adult, like seeing you in some place now, it kind of like threw me for a loop. So like I was like, oh, I don't remember this. Like, <laughs> okay. I was like, I don't know this. You know yeah, what I, mean? I was like, this I, is a little off brand for me. I, I, I can't tell you how many people tweet me and are like, um, or like, you were all that was you? And I'm like, how many, how many karamos do y'all think is running around here? Because y'all tell me. Like y'all really tell me how many karamos y'all think are running around here. But yeah, I, it, it's crazy that they put that back out. And it's interesting to watch back. The thing that I'm thankful for is that when I talk to young people. I have such a clear timeline that people can actually watch that I'm like, yo, you Mm -hmm. can actually go through the BS that you got in your life. Like literally, one of my favorite sayings is, don't be afraid of growing slowly, only of standing still. Because literally, I was literally just growing slowly, growing slowly, and then people see me now, and they're like, oh, oh, this is what, you can can be that train wreck, and then turn up here, it's like, that girl, do the work, and you can get there. but that real world stuff was a mess. Like, I'm thankful <laughs> for it. But let me tell you, they picked the most ignorant ass white folks to be on there. And then yeah. they they put, and you all know the show, they put like three black folks. And then they're like, why are the black people always upset? Why are the black people always this? And I'm like, girl, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Y'all don't understand this? Okay, like, production you know I mean? team, we saw what you did. I know. Yes. Casting all um, of us together like this. Yeah. Exactly. And like, I mean, I'm in this all white space. I'm already tired. I'm skinny as hell. I don't want to do none of this <laughs> shit. Like, y'all ain't paying me enough. And so then it's like, you're so bad. And what's really crazy was like, some guy, when I got eliminated, was like, he's going to be somebody I never respect and will go nowhere in life. And I was like, 
girl. Jokes on you. Right. Little do Jokes you know. You. Little do you, you know what God what God has in destiny for me, okay? But anyway. Oh my gosh. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. While we were researching you, we I saw a clip of you speaking on the clips from the real world and the challenge. Yeah. And you spoke how you were so hurt and angry during that time. Oh, so hurt and it came out as anger. And I really related to it because Kirby knows 2019, I call it my year of anger. I was like a ball of fire. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was like triggered by like this one thing that happened and it hurt me so deeply that for eight months, I was the angriest burned friendships, burned like work things. Like I am still trying to like recover from that. Yeah. And everyone around me, Kirby tried to get me out of it. And I think what I'm realizing now is like, I didn't know that anger and rage were kind of a point of depression like I didn't know that's how it had come out mm-hmm. I had no yeah. idea I didn't know enough about depression to know that like that's how like deep it was or if it was something like I, could, I had to handle I just thought it was angry and look I'm a Capricorn I'm naturally a little <laughs> a little fireball, <laughs> a little fireball. I'm yeah. not, like I'm a clapbacker so I just I didn't pick up on that and yeah. when we're angry in public it's seen as like dangerous mm-hmm. and I hate yeah. that and like threatening. I hate being and threatening and, threatening. and yeah. I didn't want to be labeled the angry black woman how did you like make that turn? Because it's hard to change your image once they label you as a black person as angry and aggressive. Yeah. Well, the first thing is I'm so thankful that you talked about like how the emotions can turn into can transform or transform or look like other emotions. Because I think that's what people don't realize is that when you see something in someone, that's not always the emotion that you are receiving. That's mm-hmm. not what they're feeling on the inside. And so for me, my anger or my rage was because I was hurting. I was feeling depressed. I was down. Yeah. Like literally, to speak on that challenge, I could see it in my body weight. I was so depressed but didn't know how to talk about it that I had dropped from like a cool... 190 on my season at that time because I was young, you know, to like a 170, 160 because I was just not eating. I was sad and depressed. And so it came across as if I was just always angry and upset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and it was hurtful because I didn't have the language. And so what I want to encourage people to do always is to, I, I tell people, Write down language words or emotions in your in on a piece of paper that you can refer to often, a note in your phone. Not just happy, sad, depressed, angry, 
Look up all the emotional words mm -hmm. because the minute that you can broaden your emotional language is the clearer you are about expressing what you're going through. Because when you can express it, that's when it comes out in other ways. Like at the beginning of this conversation, when you said, hey, I have anxiety. That's a new word for most people in the last 10 years that nobody was talking about. Yeah. Like, I would even say five years. People weren't saying the word anxiety, triggered. Like none of this stuff was when I was in my 20s, you know, I just turned 40. When I was in my 20s, even my early 30s, nobody was saying this as comfortable as we're saying it now. And it's only because now we have more language that we're able to say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. And like, hey, I need you to understand what I'm going through. But then secondly, when I got that label of being the angry black guy, what I realized is that the label wasn't what was hurting me. What was hurting me was that I started to believe the label. Mm -hmm. And I started to believe that, yes, I could, I might possibly be the angry one. I might possibly be the one that's always popping off. And I started to compare myself to what my other castmates or what other white people were doing and started to say, well, I guess maybe I am more aggressive or whatever, because I started to believe their narrative. And so I, what happened for me and what I want to encourage people to do is stop believing the narrative. Stop believing these things that people do. Once you have more emotional language, stop believing it. Because the thing is, is that I'm not going to let you label me because your label means that I don't have the ability to grow. Right. And I'm not going to allow you to say, I don't have the ability to grow because I know I do. And so when you put that label on me is that I'm angry or she's angry, black woman, I'm the angry black guy, forget you. At the end of the day, I realized that white folks, unfortunately, especially in media, are going to perpetuate this narrative as long. We've been hearing this since 1973, black folks saying, I'm not angry, I'm not angry. And then we start to change, you know, and we have to understand the history behind that. Mm -hmm. If you tell uh, when they were talking to slaves or that, you know, and say you're angry, you'd be like, oh, they're angry. And so it was automatically something that it was like, you're going to lose your life, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose all these different things. So it was a sort of a placeholder to say, oh, watch out for that one. Yeah. And I don't, you know, like, but unfortunately, we've grown past that. Yeah. Slavery, we ain't grown <laughs> past the racism, yes. but yes. we've grown past slavery. And I'm not, I'm not fearful that that label is going to stop me in my community. Because what I do immediately is I tell people I can grow past that label and your label is not going to stop me from doing whatever. Yeah. I'm actually really proud of you for being able to become that spokesperson in the public eye, because I feel like now we're in a space where we're able to very proudly call out media in shows like reality television shows when you were doing that. But where I find it still very toxic is in the workplace, which yeah. uh, Amira and I have to navigate, which I'm always so grateful that she and I early on took the time to build a friendship and a relationship in the office because when Amira was going through that period in 2019, it's like, just like joy is super contagious, anger is as well. But in the okay. workplace, because people don't yeah. know, and quite frankly, we live, well, we work in a very white space they don't want to take the time to get into the issues that people are navigating. So you would see Amira, for instance, maybe upset, but guess what? They walk right over it. But Amira, because we had each other, you know what? I care about your well-being so much that I'm not going to glaze mm. over the fact that you're crying in the bathroom or that you're yes. pissed yes. off or you're walking past my office and not saying anything. I'm going to bring you in and let's talk about it. I have mm. 10 to 15 to 20 minutes 
to talk about it in the way that I have 10 to 15, 20 minutes to do this task for whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That so. is beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's what we've always had to do as black folks for each other is like, we've had to be the one to say like, I get it. But what you did is you gave, you gave each other the space to, you know, like go deeper in your emotions. You gave each other the space to say, okay, this is not just anger. This is not just this. And that's literally what I'm saying about like, if no one else is going to give you the space to dig deeper in your emotions, because they just want to label you yeah. or walk by you, you have to give yourself that permission to dig deeper into your emotions and to really figure out what is really going on here. Mm-hmm. Like we have to do the work even more for ourselves. And also let's like, not to like, I'm also about solutions. Make sure anybody is listening in here. If you're in a space where you're the minority um, in that workspace, document every time someone walks by you Absolutely. when you're having an emotional. Document every single thing and turn it in. White America has no problem with documenting every single thing and turn it in on your ass. Yep. And even that boss, yes. even, yep. even that boss as an asshole, they don't care that they're an asshole and they're gonna document every little thing. And you know do. what, they got so to the top think, because they're an asshole. Okay, <laughs> so what I want you to listen, preach on that, okay? But that's the truth. Right, and remember to remove yourself from situations, from people and from things that no longer serve you. So remove yourself. Take it away. <laughs> okay. You By the way, it. I want to bring old Negro spirituals back. Yes. Can we do that in 2021? Please. Please. Because I feel like there's so many that we, we can just start back, back with. We should have brought them back in 2020. Listen. 2020, okay? We needed them. Oh, Karen, you's a bitch, girl. <laughs> Stop calling the police on my brothers, Karen. Who's a bitch, girl? Stop calling police on me. Listen. Oh my gosh. Can that be our theme song? Hey, McKenzie. <laughs> can we change that? <laughs> um, you touched on it a little bit about how therapy and like self-care is kind of trendy now. I When you first turned to therapy, it wasn't trendy. So like what got you there? What took you on that journey? What pushed you on that path? Hitting the bottom. And that's the unfortunate part. And that's the unfortunate part, especially for African-Americans who have never had access to healthcare in our country, first of all, have been not denied access, have been treated badly. And then we talk about mental health and the way that we were groomed in this country, saying that we have to endure so much. And if you, if you even act like you can't endure, then you're, you're not. And this came from both sides. I mean, like, again, I don't know how many times people be like, man up, toughen up. You're a black man. You're stronger than this. And I'm mm-hmm. like... Oh, yes, I am a black man, but I can feel what I'm feeling. Like, 100%. you know what I mean? Like, I, I can still want to go get help for what's going on up here. Like, I don't have to yes. endure it all. And so, um, but I didn't get that. You know what I mean? And because of the conversations, again, weren't as trendy as they are now. And so I hit rock bottom and I was like, okay, something is going on in my mind. And this is still going after going through school and knowing better. Like I, I went through school and I understood how important mental health was. But when the practice came to living it in my everyday life around my friends and everything yeah. else, like I just was not practicing it. And it was because I would get home and if something bad would happen, someone in my family would always say, pray it off, pray, pray it yeah. away. God's going to handle it. It'll work out. And no one ever said, hey, after you finish praying, here's a number for a therapist that you can call. Right. Because I'm all about doing both. Yeah. Why not inc- incorporate therapy with your, you know, your faith and your spirituality? And I think that's why I'm just happy now, especially as people of color, as Black folks, that we're starting to learn. But still, 
there's a lot of black people. Like when I go back to the South, even when we were just in Philly, there's so many black folks that are still like, nah, that's not for me. I'm not doing it. And so it shows that there's even a bigger hurdle for us to start to really understand our mental health. And this is the way I try to break it down for people right now. The same way you focus on your physical health, you need to focus on your mental health. Yeah, that's the trend we need to start. That is absolutely the trend we need to start. (laughs) That is a trend we need to start. And that's the problem because the thing is that I think that especially as African-Americans, because we've been told we can handle so much and Mm -hmm. that we should handle so much, we forget that it's okay that you don't have to be able to handle this much. Mm -hmm. It's not... It's not okay that you have to feel like you got to take on every single thing. It is not okay for us to be seeing our brothers and sisters dead on the news in repeat. Like mm-hmm. we haven't even started talking about the post-traumatic stress disorder that's going to be coming from a generation that is able to log on to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok and see, and see dead black men and women. Yeah. That is that's going to cause traumatic stress disorder that we haven't even started talking about. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because we're dealing with it over. ourselves and we don't know oh, how. We're dealing with it ourselves and we don't yeah. know how. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm like, Black folks, listen, this is the moment, if anything, that you need to hold on to your mental health more than you ever can. That the conversation of saying, pray it away or pray, pray to God, yes, I agree. Keep it in there. I'm not telling you not to, but include in that conversation resources for you to talk about your mental health mm-hmm. create spaces in our communities where we can start talking about mental health right. because right now more than ever i mean come on like listen we had uh, listen there's so many things that like when this comes to me like i just get so we had our first african-american um woman yes she's african-american south Asian, but she clearly identifies as a black woman mm-hmm. um and it was literally rushed under the rug yeah when it came to this momentous moment first of all it was a woman that we finally has ascended and then secondly it was a woman of color that finally ascended Mm -hmm. and i felt like this kind of just went like underneath you know what i mean which again goes to the fact that it's sort of like well you know like you don't get time to be excited you don't get time to be sad you don't get time to enjoy any of this like you know what i mean and we were trying as a community we were like Kamala, we're here, you know what I mean, whatever. <laughs> but think about it. The celebration of having this moment, we should have been, we should still be in celebration mode. She just got into office two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Right. We should have black history. We should Come have theme brunches. Theme brunches. Listen, but the crazy Happy part hours. is the thing that pisses me off about that so much is that even in this century in 2021 you still want to focus on the things that are insignificant to this moment and take away from this moment she is a black woman she is a black (laughs) woman she went to an hbcu she is a member of alpha kappa alpha sorority incorporated and yet people still want to pinpoint well she's married to a white man and she's light-skinned and she does this and she wears pants and she does that why is that significant to me? And then you under you try and understand why race in this entire conversation is so complicated because yes, even yeah. it, when it's a moment that we should be celebrating brunch all day, right? We should be twerking for Kamala. Okay. We find ourselves defending oh. our identities yes. and hers yes. because oh my people still want to strip that away. It's like, dang, can but we again, have anything? That, anything. Yeah. But again, that goes back to the mental health. Like mm-hmm. that goes back to our mental health as a community that we we can't even take the moment to just celebrate and enjoy. And that's, we've been doing that our entire, our entire history in this country. Yeah. It's like moments that happen, we don't get to celebrate. 
because we're waiting for the shoe to drop. That's, that's, that's part of your mental health. When you're waiting for the shoe to drop, there's clinical words for what that experience is for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you're mm-hmm. disassociating yourself from like certain things because you're scared of like going in or when you start to bash certain things and start to take away the light that it's in something that's good in a moment. Yeah. These are things that are dealing with your mental health of why you're not actually taking the time. Right, and yeah. I think we as black folks, we need to put that in context. Like, look at this. Why are we not celebrating? Why are we allowing ourselves to not focus on this momentous moment and instead focusing on the fact that, you know, Kamala's image, quote unquote, doesn't match our expectations of what it should be because she wears pants or because her husband's white. You think her husband did anything to get this black woman through an HBCU, get to her through a graduate program, get her into the um, Senate, get her into the White House? Not a thing. So what we should be doing instead of focusing on that, applauding. Yes, we would all love our expectations to be met and the people that we admire. But when they don't, check your mental health and check why that is such a big thing for you. And what is it about yourself that is being hurt by this moment that you can't celebrate it? I don't know. I'm not going to How did, how did you, so you've done so much self work though. How did you get to the point where you were able to kind of just brush off anything in the ways that people were pin, like picking you apart as a public figure? Yeah. Well, I don't brush it off. I ask for help. Yeah. That's literally what happens when it affects me. I'm big on ask for help. So first I have my therapist, but I also have a community of people that I know and I can trust who are going to huddle me in love and tell me the things I need to hear to grow, but also support me through the pain that I'm feeling. Right. Because at the end of the day, like I shared about Kamala, we have expectations that we put on black folks in corporate America in um, in the public eye you know, in the media, um, because we have so limited images that you as Black women, you're supposed to be a certain type of Black woman because you're basically at this point representing all Black women. You know what I mean? Like, my ex, my ex was the first white man I ever dated. Never dated a single white man, never seen a pink penis in my life. (laughs) Had no desire, to be honest, to be with you, not because of any racial or like yeah. anything. I just, I just was, I still love black men. I still love being around black men, mm-hmm. but I met a guy who was in part of black culture because he grew up around nothing but black folks. And he saw, first of all, my ex, when I met him, I thought he was Puerto Rican. Like I was like, oh, he Puerto Rican. <laughs> yep. he, he like had black. He saw, and then I was like, you're white. What the hell? And it threw me off. But by then we had already been dating. And so the thing was, is that I remember when I started to focus on that, people were like, oh yeah, why? Here go another one in Hollywood who can't date. And I was right. like, I was like, damn, like where were y'all the last 15 years yeah. when I was dating none of my brothers? And now this is the first one. And I understand, I understand because we have so many, so limited images that we want to hold on and we want to make sure people represent us and do a certain thing or whatever. But we have to let go of those expectations, especially as black community and understand that what makes us beautiful as a community. Like we have to appreciate every weight, every color, every like every education, you know what I mean? Like I got cousins who didn't go to college and I, I, I don't have an expectation on them and judge them. I appreciate the street knowledge they have. Yeah. Because there have been times when I'm like, uh, I don't have a street knowledge. You got this? Yes. Okay, thank you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, I need you right now. Yeah. And like, not to be ashamed. And so for me, when it comes to the things that I do, I see the comments. They hurt. And again, that's when those things happen. I go to my community. 
I go to my family, I go to my therapist and I say, I need y'all to love me a little bit louder. Yeah. You know, that's the key thing that I tell people to say, you know, and I encourage people say, I need you to love me a little bit louder today. Yes. Don't be ashamed of that because there's so many moments in my life where I do feel alone. I feel isolated. I feel like, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? And that's the moments where I say, hey, y'all, love me a little bit loud today. And I ask my friends to do the same. Can I love you a little bit louder today? Make you know how special and kind and beautiful you are because that's the only way we can get through this. I love that. I love that. I'm taking it. Thank you. (laughs) I know. Um, we do want to kind of touch on like you as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, we stalked your social, like saw your relationship with your sons. <laughs> it was beautiful. And it made us think like, we're so used to seeing the image of kind of like the mom take the leadership and like being a lead parent and being like the great parent. Like we both have so great, like such great relationships with our mothers. And like, how do you feel about the stereotypes around black dads, and, like black fatherhood? And like, how are you trying to change that? If you're trying to change it. I I am definitely unconsciously, but also consciously in moments. I hate the stereotype that black dads don't want to be involved. Black dads can't be loving. Black dads are all abusive. I don't like it. Yes, that was my experience in some degree, but I know so many loving black fathers that are there that step up. You know, we had, um, and this is no shade, but we have you know, 20 something plus years of Maury telling black, watching black men flip and do if they found out they weren't the father, you know what I mean? And we started to associate entertainment with real life. And most black men don't do black flips when a black woman says to them, they are having a child and they might not be the father. They actually are like, oh my gosh, how are you? There's a lot of empathetic black men out there. And so for me, it's about like, really just showing a different side, like, I honor and revere black women like y'all like I really do because the strength and the love I have in my life comes from black women who have guided me and showed me but at the same point I have to step up as a man and say okay I have to be there I have to show people that it's okay to be there Mm -hmm. I have to show people that it's okay to show love and affection to your children it's okay to break down some of those stereotypes and things you know one of the things that I remember with my son that didn't happen with me, because this is like a lot of what informs me as a parent, is if it didn't happen for me, I'm trying to be better with it with the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I remember like my, the men in my family used to always be like, hey, you, you know, you had sex yet? Or you did this with this mm-hmm. girl yet? You know what yeah. I mean? And in my mind, I was thinking, girl, no, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> but, like, but, in the, but in the reality, there was also this pressure around like having sex and using sex as sort of a tool to show that you are a man or that you are, I don't know what it what it could be a tool for. And I remember when I became a father, I said immediately, I'm never gonna pressure my kids to have sex to prove their manhood and prove their masculinity. And so instead, I used to say to my oldest son, hey, I'm sure you're curious about sex. When you're ready to have a conversation about it, um, I would love to talk to you, give you more information in a safe way, I'm not gonna judge you. But also, and I would leave every conversation, I would say this, I would say, I will tell you this, Sex is great, but it's great. It's better when you love someone. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you want, I would tell you, wait for somebody you love. Like share that moment with her and give her, it will be so much better. And because of that conversation, my child waited until he was 20 years old, going on 21, to lose a virginity to his first girlfriend who he was in love with. Yes. And to this day, he talks about it in such a way that I didn't get to talk about my virginity. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to talk about my first time because my first time was very like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing versus like, 
we're doing this together. We're loving each other. Right. So these are the ways that I feel about parenting yeah. and being a black father and just trying to change that narrative of like, we can be better. We can be better and we are better and we will continue to do better. Yeah. You talked about too, how this generation is very, um, has a lot to deal with mentally because they're actually seeing the, the death and the murder of people who look like them. And there are a lot of ways in which Amir and I can relate to you, right? We're black. We have the same kind of, you know, inflections in certain ways. We laugh at the same things, but one thing we'll never be able to understand is what it's like to walk down the street and be a black man and know that you have a target on your back just because of how you look and the color of your skin. What, are you doing and what do those conversations look like with your sons when you're trying to teach them about what it's like to be a black man in America and how you navigate that as they're getting older and, and growing up with a dad who is in the public eye? Yeah, I disagree with you to one small thing. Go ahead. Is that I do think that as black women, you do know exactly what it feels like as a black man. And I think you even know what it feels like and even worse. Because the thing is that you do fear the aggression, like yeah. I'm sure that if a, bl a white guy was standing behind you, a group of white men, you're gonna feel the same thing I feel of like, what is this about to do? The only yeah. difference is, and this is why I said you feel it even worse, is that I don't fear getting raped. Right. I don't fear like being sexualized in those moments. I fear my losing my life where you feel like losing your life as well, but there's an extra layer. And, yeah, we do know, have those struggles. We have plenty of struggles exactly. to, to navigate, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you have those. And so I, I wasn't trying to like, uh, I was just trying to acknowledge like the experience because I think no, sometimes I appreciate that. We, make it, we make it sort of monolithic that like black men, we only go through this alone. I'm looking at my sisters, I'm like, now y'all going through this too? Y'all going through this too? Like legit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's it's one of these things where as all of us as black people, you know, we have the conversations, we we do the talks, the things that we've been taught of like how to deal with police, how to, mm -hmm. where to walk, you know, how to make sure, you know, you're like walking in a room, like all the shit so people don't feel afraid, all those things. Yeah. And so early on, I had those conversations with my sons. And then somewhere around the time of like 18, 19, I stopped. I stopped having those conversations because I realized the more that I tell them to, and teach them to act a certain way out of fear, that's going to perpetuate the other side continuing to treat us a certain way. Yeah. And this is not to be naive or to be blind to what's going on. Let's be real. I don't want to like pretend like this is not happening, but at the same rate, it's also like, well, if I'm telling you to cower and to like shuck and jive to a sentence, mm -hmm. then we're only telling your peer group that that's how they're supposed to respond to other black folks. And that if a black person doesn't respond like that, then therefore they're angry to go back to what we're talking about, or, you know, whatever. And so right. I'm like, you, I'm teaching them now how to show up holistically and how to communicate very clearly. Cause I think that's one of the things, like a lot of the stuff I talk about with my sons now is like in moments of trauma, in moments of where you feel triggered, in moments of distress, how do you find the calmness and clarity so that you can still communicate in this moment, so that you can ask for support, so that you can grab your phone, yeah. so that you can understand your rights? How can you not have to feel like you have to dim yourself or comb yourself out, like, excuse me, whatever, you know what I mean, to make somebody else feel comfortable? How can you use the education I've given you? How can you use the clarity you have, the calmness in these moments, and to start to shift the conversation? And then right after, and this is a big thing, Right after I have that conversation with my son, a big thing is all the white people in my life, like I've done this like many times. I have a, a group, an email list, and I will email them immediately. 
There's no bullshit. I'm like, I'm like, hey, by the way, everybody, I just had to have a conversation with my son, how to navigate being black in this country. Can you go ahead and talk to your auntie, your uncle, your kids about what it is to be white and help tell them to change their behavior? Because the thing is, I'm also tired of this being a one-way conversation. Yes. I'm tired of black folks talking about the fact that we have to have these combos and the fact that white people don't feel as if this has to be a conversation that they have to constantly have. Yeah. So every time I have the combo, I put the pressure on them and say, now it's your turn. Good for oh you. Oh, you didn't, the- you didn't do it yep the reason yeah, why you on. have to have that conversation is because they're not boom preaching like, oh my you know gosh what I mean? yeah. and so that's a solution that i kind of like I love that grown to but also like making sure that i'm holding my friends who are not black accountable for like how are you having these conversations because if i gotta have this again right now you having it too right oh my gosh um so one thing we saw a lot of in your story is this idea of redefining black masculinity so before your interview, Kirby and I kept going back and forth. Does Black masculinity need to be defined in the first place? Have we not progressed past the need for those kind of labels? What are your thoughts on that? I think that um, I think that this generation is doing a beautiful job of making sure that we stop looking at gender and creating these norms around how one sex or the other sex or anybody who identifies anywhere in between should or should not act. But what I also am aware of is that there's many, many people who don't have exposure to the things we have exposure to in our in our coastal communities. That when I walk back to, you know, my cousins, you know, on the southwest side of Houston, let me tell you something. They they are not having conversations about masculinity and toxic masculinity they're not having conversations about gender pronouns they are not having (laughs) these conversations right and so the thing is is unfortunately we still on a space where we have to continue to try to teach those young brothers especially what it is to be a man you know what i mean and what masculinity means because again you only know what you know based on what you're around Mm -hmm. and a lot of these young brothers they see certain things in their communities and they believe that this is what you do this is how you act and so yes we get to interact with some people who are a little bit more evolved but unfortunately Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who will never have a conversation about their masculinity and how it's affecting the people they love, the women in their lives and the world around them. They're never going to have a conversation around why their ignorant comment around someone who is trans or gender nonconforming is hurtful. They're not going to have a conversation about like we talked about earlier about how like secretive, being secretive is not healthy. Being a cheater doesn't make you more of a man. Being, you know, any of these things doesn't mean you're more masculine. Like just because your pants are, I got a cousin right now. It's like it was 19... 97 <laughs> his shorts his shorts was down almost to his ankle. oh my, oh my gosh. gosh he stay in the he stay in florida and <laughs> florida I'm like, okay i'm like i'm like what what are you doing like and he like oh no nah, i can't you know i ain't you know i accept you cuz but i ain't with all that tight tight you know what i mean you gay so you do all that tight tight clothes oh and i'm like gosh. you mean clothes that that fit, fit my and body don't, mean, don't get that, that fit me because don't get me wrong, I subscribe to this too. Like every time we saw you on the real world, Karama, we okay, saw you. Every, every time Chingy, yeah. Wayne, any of them came out yeah. or something, I'm like, I gotta have that, you know. But now I'm like, why did I feel like I had to like overexert my masculinity this way? And there's still men that feel that way that, yes, I do think they need to have conversations. Yeah. And it's not about dictating your style or just the outwardly things, but again, it's like, how many of these guys? 
are unwilling to cry in front of someone? Yeah. How many of them are unwilling to be vulnerable or emotional? And like, they, they sit there and have this wall up with every woman they date. And it's like, come on, that's not what a man is. Yeah. And so I do believe that the conversation still needs to be had in many, many ways and in many forms. Right. Instead of, you know, our gender, our race, our sexuality, what do you, would you like to see people leading with when they're introducing themselves to you or anyone? What should we lead with? Our smiles? What is it? Vulnerability. Yeah. I, I, that's the thing. Vulnerability is like a key. If you can lead with vulnerability, and I, this is something I have to practice in my own life. When I'm not fine and someone asks me how I'm doing, I don't say fine anymore. Right. I say, you know, I say I'm uncomfortable today, but you know what? I'm not telling you that to put it on you so that you have to feel like you have to solve it. I'm just expressing. Because the thing is, is that when you say you're fine, people don't usually follow up. No one ever follows up when you say I'm good with like, well, what made you good? But for some reason, people feel this need to follow up with like, oh, why are you sad? And I appreciate that to some degree, but then what happens is that you don't want to be a burden in certain spaces. And so I just always say, no, this is what I'm feeling. And this was not something that I want to discuss. I just don't want to pretend. And I think if we can leave with that vulnerability, we can all be so much more transparent and more beautiful and things will be more great. Amen. I love that. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Last but not least, we have a new game. We want to end with it and I'm going to let Kirby tee it up. It's called Truth or Cheers. And it's because Amir and I love to cheers to life. We love to cheers to good vibes. We love to cheers to overcoming uh, things in general, right? So how it works is we're going to ask you a very quick series of questions. Kind of think of it as rapid fire. So as quickly as you can can do it, the first thing that comes to mind. I won't be worried. Right. But (laughs) if you don't, if you think it's just too much, We'll take a sip. I'm going to take a sip of my kombucha right here for you and we'll pass on. We'll go to the next thing. Okay. Uh, so how it works is like, for example, Amira, pick your struggle. Snatched edges, a broken nail on a fresh set or residual mask knee post-pandemic. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's easy. Nail. I can go fix that. Okay. All right. I can fix yeah, that. Edges are hard and mac knee lasts a long time. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> cool. So that's how it works. Some Great. of them, I think we're going to, I think we're going to get you. That's the goal. I think so. I hope okay. so. Got me. I love okay. it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Okay. okay. Rank your four queer eye castmates in order from your favorite to your least favorite. Bobby, 10, Anthony, Jonathan. Oh, that was fast. That was so fast. Oh, I'm impressed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mary Kill, Real World Edition, CT, Brad, and Beth. Um, Kill, Kill, Beth. Um, because I haven't talked to her in years and I only talked to her there, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary, Brad, I guess. I also haven't talked to years, but like, I feel like he's probably aged pretty cute. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, have sex. Is that what it is? Yeah. Kill, Mary, sex. Oh, sex is CT because he's aggressive. And like, I like a little aggression. You know, okay. Like, uh, there we go. Okay, okay, okay. Y'all ain't stopped me yet, girl. <laughs> Okay, this one's okay. This one's y- y'all thought that first one was gonna stop me, and I went we quick with it. Way too fast. I'm like, okay. you, you stopped us there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we talked about this because your cousin's in Florida, so we were right on time. Fashion repeats every 20 years, which which early 2000s look needs to stay gone forever? The Kanye pop collar, tall tees, or Ed Hardy designs on T-shirts. All three. (laughs) All three. Out of one of them, though, I would say the long tees because I like a Kanye pop collar. It was cute. I miss that Kanye. Um, I miss that Kanye. We all miss that Kanye. I want the old Kanye, right? I know. We absolutely want the old Kanye. What a time. You're a Dancing with the Stars expert. 
So mm-hmm. rank these stars from your season from dancing ability from best to worst. Oh, Cal Mitchell, James mm-hmm. Vanderbeek, or Sean mm-hmm. Spicer? Sean's the worst. Um, <laughs> James was ironically the best. Like, no shade. He should have made it to the top, but I think they really wanted that um, little white girl from Bachelor to win. And so yeah. they got him out quickly because they knew if he was in there, he would have won. Yeah. And he was over it when that happened, um, rightfully so. Um, and then Kel. But quietly as it's kept, Kel is one of the most inspirational and also spiritual people I've ever met. I don't know why when I met him, I thought good burger. He's going to be out here like, man, drops a word, is kind, is loving. I wish that he had his own daytime talk show. I'm not even joking. The world would be inspired by Kel and the knowledge he drops and the love he gives. And this is the last one. We end every episode with this question. And it is, my Black is beautiful because? My Black is beautiful because it is ever evolving. It is ever emotional. It, it, it's just... It's just, it's just amazing. Thank you so much for bringing us into your energy. Yeah. Like that is, you are one of our black yes. faves and this is why. <laughs> so thank I you. I love you all. Thank you for having me. Yes, we can't wait thank to have you. you back. I know. Anytime, anytime, anytime. <laughs> yes, and then I'm when serious, this panini's over, we're going out wherever we're going. <laughs> I'm coming to New York yes. and we are going out. Yeah. Okay. We'll plan the Kamala brunch. Yeah. Like, okay. And our suits and everything. We'll have a blast. Can we do it? Thank you so right, much. Thank so you much. so much. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Amira Lawali and Kirby Nixon. This episode was also produced by McKamey Lynn and edited by Arjun Sheth. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Ted Butler and Jesse Katz. The Table is Ours was created by a Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See y'all next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.